right before I do a podcast, I say a prayer and I ask my Heavenly Father to help me say those things that would help someone else, that I might say just the right thing that might turn someone else's day into greater thoughts and greater reflection upon our Savior. And I'm so grateful to you for joining me, for your willingness to be here with me again, or maybe if it's your first time, thank you for being here. Because I honestly feel like I am shouting from the rooftops my testimony of my Savior. And if you are here with me today, it's because you desire to do the same and you haven't known quite how to do it or how to go about it. And yet you are trying to turn your life over to your Father in Heaven a little bit better. And I'm grateful that I have this opportunity and that I've had this tug on my heart to share these thoughts with you and ultimately to my children and to my posterity. I today had to stop and start and stop and start. I think this is my sixth time. So I again said a prayer and I, I vocalized, I said it out loud and I asked Heavenly Father to please guide my thoughts, please guide my words because this is for him and this is for you, my children, my friend. And I think it's a difficult topic because, well, it's about humility and it's like the most difficult topic because as Marlon K. Jensen says in his conference talk to walk humbly with thy God, true humility will inevitably lead us to say to God, thy will be done. And that is what is so difficult for me. And because what we are does affect what we do, our submissiveness will be reflected in our reverence, gratitude, and willingness to accept counsel and correction. And that right there, to accept counsel and correction, is hard for all of us. The Prophet Joseph Smith once rebuked Brigham Young, and I don't know the whole details of the story, but apparently there was a moment in time where he rebuked him and, and it was in front of others and it was over something he had done or over something maybe he had not done. He was supposed to do, but Joseph Smith basically got after Brigham Young about it and asked him why it hadn't been done or why it was done a certain way. And I'm sure it was in the prophet very own special way of doing things but nonetheless it goes down in the history books in the history books that he rebuked Brigham Young and Brigham Young who was later known as the Lion of the Lord in a voice that everyone could tell that was sincere and simple and humble he says to the prophet Joseph what do you want me to do The power of that response brings a feeling of humility. Just recently, I was calling my husband over and over and over again in a panic about something, and that's usually how I go about things, and and I'm trying not to be that way, the pinball in the pinball machine. And instead of my husband calling me back and saying, what do you need? He, He said something just about the very same way. What is it that you want me to do? 
He isn't just looking at what my needs are, which is, of course, shelter and and love and food and air and water. He asked me what my wants were in the moment. And after I declared that to him, he very simply said to me, I'll take care of it. I'll take care of it. Don't worry. I will take care of it. That simple, humble response to me put me at peace and calmed me right down. Rather than saying something like, you always call me at the wrong time or I'm right in the middle of something, he simply said, very similar to what Brigham Young said, what is it that you want me to do? And it was just in the way that he said it. And it was just what I needed that calmed me right down. And he did take care of it. He did take care of the situation and he did resolve it through prayer and seeking out our our Father in Heaven's will. He did take care of it. And other voices were softened and other hearts were changed because of the way that he handled it. And I trust him in how he handles things. And so I go to him because of my husband's humility. And I'm so grateful for his example. C.S. Lewis said, Pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next man. We say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good looking, but they are not. They are only proud of being richer or cleverer or better looking than others. If everyone else became equally rich or equally clever or equally good looking, there would be nothing to be proud of. It is the comparisons that make us proud. The pleasure of being above the rest. Once the element of competition has gone, pride has gone. I once knew a man that was very closely related to our family and he knew just how to poke the buttons in such a way that you left his presence feeling insignificant and small and stupid. And someone said, well, he he just says what he thinks. But as I began to think about it, yeah, there might have been some element of truth to it, but he put just enough twist on it that made what particle of truth he was pointing out about you insignificant and small. Maybe to rise him up, maybe to make himself look better or more clever or smarter, but definitely to make you insignificant. And you left him feeling really low. And he has since passed on. And sadly, that is how all of us who know him or knew him think about him. And as I've been thinking about him, it wasn't that he really did think himself to be better. It was because he did think himself to be insignificant to everyone he he spoke to, that he had to poke buttons in just the right way to make himself feel better. So if we consider the climate that exists within our marriage or family or our organization, our neighborhood or community, through genuine humility, mistakes could be admitted and forgiven rather than buttons poked and feelings hurt. Like I've said before, is 
the neighborhood, is the family that you live in, is the community in which you dwell, is it better because you're there? And so that is my goal. Is the ward that I'm in, is my family happier because of my presence? If we freely admit that we are wrong, if we're not afraid to praise others for fear that they might gain on us, and if we did more listening than speaking, I believe that there might be more peace. In Marlon K. Jensen's talk to Walk Humbly with God from April 2001, he says, what's the problem with ever saying, hmm, I could be wrong? Must our need to be right be all so consuming? Pride is a suicidal sin. In Doctrine and Covenants 101.8, in the day of their peace, they esteemed lightly my counsel. But in the day of their trouble of necessity, they feel after me. So if we are talking about pride being a suicidal sin, that we are brought down to the lowest of our low, that we are actually experiencing near spiritual death, then there's going to be some suffering involved. And that's when we call upon our Father in Heaven in the greatest degree. So in DNC 101.8, in the day of peace, we take his counsel lightly. But in the day of our suffering, we feel after him in a greater degree. I'm reading in Ether, Ether 9, and all throughout Ether 9, there are so many years of sorrow and destruction because of pride and selfishness. And then the right and good and pure-hearted son comes along and changes everything. And then they feel peace and happiness and prosperity. And then jealousy enters in. And then that kingdom is overthrown. And then sons are taking over the thrones from their father and the father is killing their son and it goes on and on and on and on like this and we do see this often throughout the book of mormon but just right there in in chapter 9 of ether we see this back and forth up and down and the kings who are wicked the people were destructive the leaders who were righteous the people were happy and peaceful so that's enough right there to let us know that Jealousy and haughtiness and arrogance leads to destruction. And happiness and righteousness and seeking for our Savior leads to joy and peace with one another. Just in this chapter alone, in the Come Follow Me program, we can see as we study ether all throughout ether, but as we are studying in chapter 9 today, we can see the destruction and we can see how our Father pulls them out again once they humbly submit themselves sufficiently. So in one part of this, the son Emer or Emer, E-M-E-R, he sees the son of righteousness. And you don't see the Savior being called that very often. And so I dug a little bit deeper into that. 
And so my reflections today turned to the names of the Savior. And I came upon a an article written called Names of Christ in the Book of Mormon. And it was way back in 1978. And she says, in a word-by-word study, I have found some form of the Lord's name mentioned an average of 1.7 verses in the Book of Mormon. He said that, she says, the Savior is, re- is referred to by 100 different names. And the Son of Righteousness is just one of those names. She says, I have found that each of the hundred names signifies a different attribute or characteristic of the Lord and was used appropriately to convey the prophet's recognition of who he is and what his mission represents. I loved going through this article. I loved going through this because I felt like I was seeking my Savior. And as I was seeking my Savior, I was feeling more and more reverence for him and more and more desire to become like him. And so I see in the climate of our world right now, I see this phrase circulating all the time about coming to peace with our body and our and our personal appearance. And the biggest phrase I see all the time is, I am enough. And so that could be taken in two totally different extremes on the spectrum. One, I'm enough. I don't need to do anymore. I don't need to lose this weight. I don't need to be any prettier. I don't need to try harder. I don't need to seek out my savior because I'm already doing enough. I have plenty. Or it can be, I am enough. I am enough in my savior's eyes. He loves me for who I am. He appreciates what I am doing to seek after him. I am enough in his eyes that I strive to be like him every single day. So do you see how on opposite ends of the spectrum of I am enough, one is all about I, and the other one is towards him. I am seeking to be more like him, and in so doing, my Savior is accepting all of my effort. And it gives you motivation to continue trying. By saying, I am enough, and enters in the pride, then we halt our progression. So we have to be careful with the current popular theme of our day. In the climate of our world, we need to be careful of where we gauge that I am enough. So this sister dug really deep all throughout the Book of Mormon and literally counted throughout, word by word, all the references to the Savior. She says, there was there, in further understanding of man's relationship to Christ, the central figure of the Book of Mormon occurs through a study of periods of apostasy, contention, and war. Fewer references to Christ are made during those periods of darkness. But when Christ was sought after, there was far more thoughtful and sensitive study of their relationship and their desire to be like him during periods of peace and joy and prosperity, which come through man's keeping the 
commandments, the names of Christ are used profusely, indicating the abundant presence of his spirit. Thus, the righteous actions of the people brought the influence and blessings of Christ among them. But as there become fewer references to Christ, those are the periods of darkness, and his influence is lessened due to the unrighteous acts of man. And so in Ether 9.22, he saw peace in the land. He even saw the Son of Righteousness and did rejoice and glory in his day, and he died in peace. And in verse 35, it says right here, And it came to pass that when they humbled themselves sufficiently before the Lord, he did send upon the face of the earth, and the people began to revive again once rain was sent to them. And there began to be fruit and in all countries round about. And the Lord did show forth his power unto them in preserving them from famine. So all throughout chapter 9, there are serpents and famine, you know, the great Darth. They have consumed all the beasts of the land, and then they begin to destroy one another and great destruction, and then they suffer. They suffer, then they call upon his name. Can we be like President Nelson and President Eyring at the time President Monson encouraged them, all of us, to read and study the Book of Mormon? Elder Bednar says that both men were serving in important and visible church positions. So does that mean, oh, I, I'm, I've got this. I'm good. I don't need to read from the Book of Mormon. I've done enough. I am enough. I'm President Eyring. I'm President Nelson. I've done enough. I've done plenty. No, they took on President Monson's challenge to read from the Book of Mormon to an even greater degree. And demonstrated their response to their prophet. No hesitation or no sense of self-importance. And I love President Nelson when he encouraged, when, when we were all encouraged to read all the references pertaining to the Savior throughout the scriptures. His wife asked him about his study and the prophet said, I am a changed man. He is a changed man? How can he get any better? But that's because he does not say, I am enough. He says, I need to seek more. And of course, our Savior looks at him and says, I accept your offering. You are doing enough. Here, fill of my love. Here, fill of all that I have to offer you. In Alma 14.21, this scripture, someday will we be like this? And many such things did they say unto them, gnashing their teeth upon them and spitting upon them and saying, How shall we look when we are damned? Even the haughty and prideful and arrogant are still concerned about how they're going to look when they are damned. 
that struck such a chord with me. Because when we are prideful and we are lost in comparisons, it is never enough. There is never enough to fill that bucket. But when we are humble and meek and submissive, we can never get enough of our Savior. John the Baptist even said himself, he must increase, but I must decrease. I must step out of the shadows. I must give someone else the light, the center stage, the compliment, the encouragement, the praise. It is okay to be to, to, to it is okay to decrease. It is okay to say I am wrong. It is okay to say I apologize. It is okay. The Old Testament prophet says, and I've quoted this before, he hath showed thee, O man, what is good and what doth the Lord require for us to be enough but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. Thank you so much for joining me in this Reflections of Humility. I hope that I'm enough. Thank you so much for joining me. I will see you next time.